Hello and welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by Funkinsliff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I'm your host, Scott Dr. Jake Skolfine, musicologist and author of Everything's on the One, the first guy to funk. If you don't have your copy, get on over to Amazon and pick one up. You'll be so glad you did. Whether you're watching the video version of this at Funkinstuff.net or on YouTube or listening to the audio-only podcast version from providers like iTunes and Spotify. As always, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in the show. Speaking of which, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives. All kinds of goodies you'll get uh, early premieres, and it's all free, so make sure you sign up. Tell a friend, tell family. Also get your official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff gear at the FunkinStuff.net store. Cool stuff like I'm wearing right here, Truth and Rhythm shirts, Show your support and love of the show and also the musicians and the music that they represent. Um, also want to give a shout out to the Funk Exhibition Center and Hall of Fame in Dayton, Ohio, of which I'm very proud to be an official Funk Ambassador. Go to thefunkcenter.org to learn more and keep the funk alive. And now, with all that, it's time to get on with the show. Enjoy. I'm pleased to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership guitarist, composer, and arranger, Kim Miller, a founding member of the great Instant Funk, the wow. group which was discovered and produced by Philadelphia recording icon Bunny Sigler, is best known for its chart-topping 1979 funk classic, I Got My Mind Made Up, You Can Get It, Girl. But there's much more to their story as Instant Funk released seven albums from 1976 to 1983, and its members contributed to many well-known artists' recordings. Those include Lou Rawls, The OJs, MFSB, Curtis Mayfield, and Evelyn Champagne King. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. How are you today? How, how are you doing this crazy year? I, I am good. Uh, you know, the way I live my life, I have a lot of patience. So uh, this just gives me time to catch up on things that I needed to catch up on and uh, to sit here and write songs and to reflect on that kind of thing, you know. So I'm I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, I think all of us are, you know, just pulling whatever positives we can out of this uh, crazy kind of down year or so. But uh, yes. for musicians who can't get out there and perform especially, um, mm -hmm. You know, hopefully some good creative stuff will come out of it down the line. Yes. You know, that's uh, it's it's uh, strange that that you say that because, uh, you know, most of our dates we had this year, I had I had to cancel. And uh, just uh, last week, I, I got a call 
where they want us to do something in sep in September. And uh, you know, I'm kinda I'm kinda leery. I'm one of those germaphobic guys, you know, so so I'm so I'm not trying to put myself in no harm's way. But but the way that they're trying trying to do this I thought was in, was interesting. They wanna have a drive a drive in style outside concert, you know. So we're so we're talking about it now, you know. So uh, that's about the only thing. So uh, you know, of anything else, you know, every everything else is kind of done for the year, you know. So I, I've heard about some of those uh, experimenting with the drive-in concept. So I'm curious mm -hmm. about that. Hopefully that'll that'll work out. Um, good luck with that. Yeah. Well, just well, just pray for me. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm praying for all of us. Uh, believe me, kid. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so where are you coming to us from today? I'm coming to you from Hamilton, New Jersey. Uh, it's a little um, uh, southeast of, uh, what's the city? Trenton. And uh, I've been in, in this area for, for some years now. You know, uh, this is where where we're where we're pretty much based. Uh, like we have a recording studio here as well, which is where I would normally have done have done this, but with this like COVID stuff, I I didn't want to go through all all that kind of stuff. You know, but this is where we're based out of. We're actually about 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 thirty miles north of Philadelphia. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, you ready to, uh, you know, fire up some of those older brain cells and, and get them? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Very cool. Uh, so, Kim, you're originally from New Jersey. I know that. Um, how and when were you drawn to music and why the guitar? Well, I was drawn I was playing the guitar at a very early age, like eight years old. Um, uh, I'll, I'll try to make this story a little short because it could get long. But, uh, you know, just just watching some of the um, earlier mu musicians, you know, like such as the James Browns and, uh, uh, you know, the acts of those days, um, uh, you know some of those artists in, in in that time, but but what really sparked me to go after it was one day I was walking home and we were all you know a bunch of kids. We went to the to the skating arena and we're walking home and uh, down downtown at that time they had these uh, these like movie theaters that they would do shows in. Anyway, I'm I'm walking home. I'm coming up the street. I look up in front of me, and this long white limousine pulls up in front of this movie theater. So I'm st I'm steady walking. I'm a little kid. I was eight years old, eight or nine, and I'm coming up. And as I'm getting by the door, you know, my eyes are all big. All all of us were like looking to say, "Well, who's this in this car? Who's in this car?" So we get by the door, flings open, and there's Mister. Wilson Pickett and Wilson Pickett get gets out and I guess he sees the stars in my eyes and he says son you know uh, uh, you live around here I said yes sir you know he he said well here's two two tickets ask your parents to bring you back to the show tonight 
So I went home, and uh, my grandfather brought me back to the show. I sat there, looked looked at the stage, watched it, watching like Wilson Pickett do his thing across that stage, and the rest is is history. From that point, I wanted to be a guitar player because I was watching his guy, and he was f dancing, flinging all across the stage and everything. I said, that's what I want to do. And from that point on, that's how I learned how to play. Well, and that's why, why I learned how to play. Were, were you, you mostly self-taught or you took lessons? Well, I took lessons to start of it, <laughs> which is another funny thing. Because when I started playing, you know, I go to these guys to teach me. And they want to show me Mary Had a Little Lamb, and I wanted to play James Brown and all them funky licks and stuff, you know. So I kind of got uh, dis discouraged, and I left him, and then I went to, like, another uh, guy, and I, and I studied with him for a whole year, and I didn't learn one single thing, not one single thing in the whole year. And what made me uh, get on board was he told me one day, he said, Kim, if you come back next week and you don't know this this lesson, I'm going to let your grandparents know that that this whole year you haven't learned anything. Little did I have to say that uh, when I came back, I knew that lesson because he was not going to tell my grandmother that I hadn't learned anything or else I wouldn't be here today. <laughs> my grandmother would have lit me up, you know. And from that point, I, I, I just learned, uh, you know, like I took uh, private lessons for about, I don't know, about about five or six years. And uh, I, I started doing live performances at an early age. I think I was 12 when I was I was actually jumping in a car, riding all across the country. Well, we all were. And uh, yeah, I was I was 12. You know, so from that point, I really started learning by listening to other players. You know, uh, you know, I'm a avid uh, fan of all all genres of, of music. Uh, you know, like uh, when I'm at home, if I want to listen to something, you'll either hear me listening to some like country, like some Garth Brooks or something like like that, or or you'll hear me like listening to to some smooth jazz or something you know um, never will you hear me playing no hardcore funk like music you know because that's what I do you know so I so I like to keep my my avenues open and you know and from the different genres you know comes different ideas so if I don't burn myself out with with the funk, then I'm able to 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 like venture into every aspect that there is. So that's how I do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, what was your first uh, you know real group experience? Was it in high school or how that develop? Groups uh, experience as far as. Uh, I don't. I, I don't know, quite understand. You know, what you mean. When, when did you first start uh, getting with some other guys and performing in front of people? And oh, this is this is like when I was twelve. When I was twelve, you know, and and uh, 
you know, like it was some guys, you know, we're in school and everything. Hey, man, let's let's get a band, you know. So uh, we so we started doing doing little things, but what started to happen was, I guess, other people started to notice that the uh, that the skills that I was starting to develop, I'm I'm talking about from like older cats that that had bands and. I was approached about about leaving this band that I had in and you know like like junior high school or whatever to come play with with a more professional group that was doing things you know and uh, you know like I had to go through through a lot of things with that because like I said I was 12 I was in school you know these guys were like traveling all over the place and uh, you know, they uh, worked that out with my grandparents, you know, because my grandparents were very strict. And um, so I was able to go out with, with them. I mean, you know, we would jump jump into cars, uh, put a U-Haul on the back of whoever's car was, like, working, you know, and we would just take, take off and go play in, like, different towns. We didn't have any gigs. We didn't have anything. We would just pull in, go go to a club, Tell tell the guy, let us have the door, and if he liked us, then we would take it from there. And like the first night, people would come in, and you know we would play and do our thing. By the second night, there were lines all around the corner because of what we did, you know. And um, at a at a young age, because I used to try to put myself around. Oh, older musicians and old and older artists and things like that so I could learn you know because I always want to learn and and even still now you know you know you never stop you know so I did I did that and I you know we went around and uh, and it led into all the things that you were saying earlier you know and that's that's basically it so what led to your first professional uh, recording? Uh, yeah, pr first professional recording. What led to that? Well, Mr. Bunny Sigler, that's that's how uh, us getting into the uh, recording in industry basically started because uh, we we actually because how it was it it used to be the TNJs and Anston Funk. We used to back up a singing group. You know the four, you know the four guys out front doing the temptation stuff or whatever. You know that's how it all all started. So 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 the management that we had at that time uh, got an interview with um, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, what's the man name? Norman Harris over there in Phil in Philadelphia because Norman had his own uh, like record label. So we got over there. And we were doing a, an audition for him, and in walks Bunny Sigler, and like Bunny Sigler was was the type that uh, he would he could walk into any in uh, like musical environment and fall into whatever you were doing. So what that that day when we were doing what we we were doing he just walked in the door and just started singing i mean literally scott he walks in the door and you know the music is gone and he just starts 
singing. He grabs the mic, and we so 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 the camaraderie was was there. The the like musical um, inspiration was was there. So that's how basically how we started doing our first re recordings because uh, like Bunny used to write songs for some of everybody. And so he started using us on all of his tracks, you know, all of the songs that he was writing for, for different artists and things, uh, you know, for like the old DLJs, like Phyllis Hyman, uh, um, uh, who else was there? Archie Bell and the Drells and, and uh, uh, like Phyllis Hyman, I think I, I had mentioned her. But all, but all his acts coming in through, through like the Philly stuff, you know, because that's us on, on like uh, Archie Bell and the Drells, uh, Soul, Soul City Walking, Let's, Let's Groove, you know, all of those things. So that's how we got into the recording industry. Wow. Did you remember your first time in a professional studio? I mean, were you sort of like oh, yeah. awestricken a little bit? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. You know, is is you know, it was one thing about me. You know, they they say you know how it is being a young artist and trying to work all your life to achieve some something, and then when when you get there, it can either make you or it can break you because it can be so exciting that it scares you, and you run from it, or or you can stand there and let your knees shake a while and then just dive into it. You know, well, I was one of those that always dove into it, you know. Um, yeah, I can remember the first time when we went over to um, Sigma Sound Studios over there in Philadelphia. And we walked in and we were going to our room. But we had to go past the main room, and like Bunny knows everybody there, so he walked into the main control room. We walk in there, and MFSB is in there recording. I mean, the strings, the horns, like Norman Harris, Ronnie, like Baker, Earl Young, like they're all in in there, man. And you know, like my my jaw just dropped. You know, here I am around all these guys that I've heard about and played about, you know, gold records all on the walls and everything, you know, so it was an all moment, you know, yeah, it was nice, it was nice stuff. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, man. That whole, that whole scene at that time, just something else, I mean, it's... Yeah, yes, yes. The sound and, uh, Yeah, you know, one of the things about that time was is that you know, every everybody liked everybody. You know, uh, even though you know your your thing was here and their thing was there. You know, but everybody liked every everybody, and everybody supported everybody. You know, there would be times where like we would be in there recording, and and Earl Young may walk may walk in and like we could see him in the control room and he's rocking his head and everything you know that makes you feel good you know when when you see a guy that you've looked up to all the time coming there and he's rocking to what you're doing you know it it just felt good and it gave you more inspiration you know so those those days are long gone though yeah those days are long gone um 
fortunately we have the memories and and folks like you to share those memories um mm -hmm. so kim what was uh bunny sigler like in the studio bunny sigler <laughs> uh bunny six sigler was a unpredictable uh songwriting genius that's that's what he was like nothing but fun it was just fun you know um you know bunny you know bunny gave gave off a vibe that that you just wanted to give him your best you know and that's how it how it was you know um you know like back back in those days when when we used to re record because nowadays you can use all kind of keyboards that give you different sounds drum machines all this kind of stuff but back then it was just raw talent you know i mean we may have had a new type of keyboard to give you a new type of sound but everything was raw talent from the individual musician you know but one of the things that used to happen in those days the producer like you know once once you got down the song that they were trying to to record or whatever once it got to the point where it's time to start to record this 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 thing that the producer would stand in the middle of the floor you know like you know like you got your guitar players over here drums during he's right in like the middle and we're all like watching him and bunny had this knack he would be dancing in the middle of the floor to what we were recording, which gave us the vibe that he was trying to capture. You know, because it's it's like one thing to to sit there and rock your head to a beat, but when you can actually visualize where this beat, this groove is going, then it takes on a whole nother life. And that's the uh, the thing that Bunny had that that like a lot of other producers didn't have. You know, he had that thing to to make you feel exactly what he was feeling. Serious body language. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Bunny was a really great person, man. Really, really nice guy. You know, like he took us under his wing. You know, like he taught us. You know, you know, you know, we didn't know any of the stuff be, before we met him. I mean, we were talented musicians, but how to come into a recording situation and to bring that same energy in a constructive way is what we had to learn. You know, because I remember one day where we were doing a, track for for Kenny for Kenny Gamble and uh, you know I was very excited you know I said oh Kenny you know look here you know so I'm in there you know I'm playing I'm playing now I'm Scott I'm basically playing every note on the neck of the guitar and Kenny walks in and he stops the music and he says and he says listen son he he says I know that you're a talented musician and I know that you can play every note on that neck. But on this song, all I want you to play for me is chink, chink, <laughs> chink, you know. And, and I'm like, you know, I'm like, oh, wow, you know, okay. So, 
So I'm, of course, I'm going to do what he tells me to do. But after doing it and after listening to the playback, I'm starting to understand how to structure the music, how to build it, how how to make it where it makes sense. You know, because there's a there's a there's a formula to uh, to like writing and playing uh, hit songs. You know, there's a formula to it. You know, and 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 of course we had to be taught. Uh, we we were easy uh, guys to teach because we gave no resistance when some when someone of that stature is teaching you. You know, so we sucked it all in. And, you know, and that's why why everybody all around the country, man, they wanted us to do their tracks. You know, and that's it. Yeah, like sponges. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the first uh, instant funk record uh, came out, I think, 76. It was um, before you guys really got rolling. You kind of had one out uh, initially, right? That came out. Uh, get get down with the Philly jump. Yeah, that one. Um, so that came out 76 on an independent mm-hmm. uh, label, right? So um, Yeah, the, TS, the TSOP. How did uh, how and when did you get the instant funk name, and um, what were your aspirations once you kind of had a group name? You know, did you think you were going to go out on your own right away, or or just stay as a studio band? Yeah, well, no. Um, well, the instant funk name came came about way before we ran into uh, the like Philly sound. That was around the times when we used to drive all around like the country. I'm. I mean, it's got all over the country, not just a few states. I'm talking about we drove from here to, to Los Angeles, to, to Arizona, to like Seattle. We were doing this kind of stuff. And the manager that we had that time, because we were, the, the act was very, very good. Um, and uh, one day we were at re- rehearsal and uh, the the manager just just blurted out and said man you man you guys are so good it's just that all you got to do is one two three four and it's instant bang he said that's the name you guys instant funk because that's the what you guys do blah, 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 blah. so we so we said all right i mean we weren't going to say no because because like the manager we had was about six seven three hundred pounds so we weren't going to say no about nothing you know but that's so that's how we basically came up with with the name um but i've always had the um the aspirations and the drive and i've i always knew that i was going to achieve what i was after you know i i always was like that from my first group you know like i i i set myself many goals you know i was saying well with this act this is where i want to go and once i achieved that and saw that it wasn't going nowhere i had to move you know i had to go to that next like level and i was with this act for a while and and we achieved everything and we done this and that stalled and i said well it's time for me to move to like the next the the next level so i always had had it here that I was going to do what I set out to do, 
you know, uh, it wasn't easy. Uh, there was a lot of BS along that road, but I knew that I was gonna, I was going to do it. You know, and you know, when I say I, I mean us as instant funk because in in instant funk, and just like you say on that first first album, that very first album, get down with the Philly Jump, that is only three of us. And it's myself, and it's my, and, and it's my brother Scott, and it's and and it's my my lifetime friend uh, like Raymond Earl. So this is what Instant Funk started out, and it's still to today like mine and Scott because he passed on, you know. So it's just it's just like Raymond and I, you know. What a bass player he is too. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was I I was gonna uh, we we were gonna try to do this together today, but he had another ob obligation. So so well, we'll so to... you got me. <laughs> well, glad for that, and we'll have to pay extra special respects to him for his absence. Okay. <laughs> so on that first record, get down with the Philly Jump. Um, how much creative input did you have on it? How did you feel about how it came out? Well, Get Down with the Philly Jump was written by Theodore Life. Theodore Life is the one that produced Evelyn King, like Shame and, and all that stuff. And and Life was actually doing, because he, he played guitar as well. Uh, and he, um, him and um, uh, like Dexter Wanzel, uh, that's the like studio act i mean group that we used uh when we played all these other acts and everything that that was the unit and um you know he can he came up with this song uh i really liked the song you know because of the um the like structure of it um the idea of singing about philadelphia was more his doing because that's where they're from and it was just like an idea at that time that they thought would sell you know but the song itself uh yes uh the the uh musicianship that we had in in there were uh were like a bunch of good guys just like i said theater theater live dexter wanzel we had Bunny's uh, like brother on keys. Um, um, Jimmy. Uh, yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy Sigler, and uh, I'm trying to think uh, who else. I I think Larry like Larry Washington played the percussions on that particular song. You know, but it was just like a jam session. It was just one big jam session, you know, and it turned and it turned out to do what it what it did. Um, uh, you know, as far as sales-wise, record-wise, you know, I I come I come to understand that it was more or less of a tax write-off for for uh, like Gam Gamble and Huff, and that's why they did what they did, and you know, I, they didn't put too much promotion behind it. But it was a good album, I I I, I think. You know, there's some nice some nice songs on it. Yeah, although I'll say it definitely to me only hinted at the full magnitude of instant funk. So oh yeah, guys, oh yeah. definitely. 
Um, and um, Dexter Wenzel's been on the show. Great. What a talent and a gentleman. Oh, yeah. And yeah, man. a big fan of his. And Evelyn uh, King was on just recently. That's still yeah. yet to air. But um, so yeah. we were talking about T Life quite a bit um, just recently. And yeah, well did, well, did she tell you the story of, 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 how, of how we found her? <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, she was with the uh, her mom. That that story, you mean? Yes. Yeah, uh, she just mentioned T Life finding her. Were you part of that? Yeah. Show? Right. Right. Yeah, well, that was incredible. It's like a Cinderella story. Yeah. Yeah. True. I mean, it. I mean, just just the way she said it happened. That's how it happened. You know, we would be in there recording at night, and and we hear this girl like singing but we but we didn't know where in the building that she was and one and one night he went went looking for her and he found it and the next thing you know he here it is evelyn shank champagne king shank yeah that's awesome uh, <laughs> yeah, you know on that first record though kim too i noticed you know uh with the, the reggae and the um funky africa you know you had these uh -huh. sort of like multicultural influences right uh, uh, coursing through the group like right from the get-go and that kind of stayed with it um, where did that come from well that came from the fact that at that particular year we were doing a lot of international uh, like travel uh, we had been we had been to um, to the bar uh, was it Barbados and and uh, Jam and Jamaica we went uh, to Ma to Monrovia Africa and you know every spot that we went to we wrote songs in <laughs> you know so that's how that that actually happened you know uh you know like i say bunny was a very uh creative person you know and spon spontaneous he was very spontaneous and even on the live shows you know it was spontaneous there was no sense and setting up a show for Bunny, because when he comes out on the stage, it ain't going to be nothing like you practice. It's not going to be nothing like that. <laughs> so, so that's, you know, so that's how we got that different, like, flavor with that first album. Um, it wasn't for a couple of years until you came with your next record. So I want to talk about a couple of the sessions that happened before that was released. And mm -hmm. you mentioned one was Evelyn King and Shame. Were were you mm -hmm. uh, surprised when that blew up like it did? Well, be honest, honest with you, Scott. I was surprised about everything. I mean, I mean seriously. Uh, you know, um, well, well, my wife tell tells me about about that now that that's the way that I am. You know, I don't think like like that. I don't look at things uh i guess like every everybody else does but um yeah well when shane came came out because you know she she was like part of what we were doing sort of uh but 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 not like as far as the gigging and all this kind of stuff but as far as like creating sound you know but yes, I I didn't think that shame was going to make noise. I did not think that it was going to be as large as it did. You know, heck, for for like the longest time, like I got my mind made made up. I didn't 
realized that it was what it was for, I don't know, uh, maybe about a year into its success. You know, I didn't really look at it as being a monster hit. You know, I really, I really did. I also want to mention uh, Bunny Sigler's biggest hit, the party mm-hmm. song, um, which was great. I think I bought that single when it was out. <clears throat> which one was that? Uh, Let Me Party With You. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, you know, Scott, as you're calling these songs off, I can actually remember the actual time and what we were doing and how we did it, you know? And that party, party, party for him was a was a good song. That actually was around the time that Marvin Gaye had that uh, had his got hit to give song. it up. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and like and like Bunny said, "Hey man, let's let's go after that groove, but let's do it backwards." And I, and I said, "Okay, you know." And 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 we went in there and did it, and it was let me party with you you know i mean that whole thing was like backwards you know and uh you know that that was a great time because he did that out of the uh uh i can't think of the name of the studio but it was down in south in south philly alpha yeah yeah alpha recording studios and you guys also worked with the Pips. I really uh, had forgotten that the Pips actually tried their own recordings apart oh, from yeah. last night. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. The the, the Pips, uh, they actually well, we were out in in the West Coast at that time. Any anyway, and uh, you know, Bunny struck up a deal like with them and said, "Hey guys, we're gonna." do these records for the pips and I said well well all right I said well like what happened to Gladys <laughs> they said no this is just the pips you know well actually when when we were out there too uh we also did Patty Patty Brooks uh, at at the same time and um yeah 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 the pips and uh Patty Brooks you know, I don't know what whatever became of the of the like record, but uh, you know, like I guess it did something for him. <laughs> so during these times, I'm thinking you must have been like a crazy schedule, right? You're in the studio or on the road or doing something musical just all the time, right? Yeah, man. But but I loved it, loved every minute of it. You know, every second of it. You know, this is like. You know, when when you reach those kind of plateaus, it, especially after, uh, like, striving for it your, your, your whole life, you know, it feels very good to reach that level and to be able to have fun, you know, because sometimes along that way, from amateur to professionalism, the fun can get lost. You know, then it becomes a job, you know, and when it becomes a job, then it's not that interesting that you, you know, it's not that f- fulfilling, 
shall I, shall I say. Also, the uh, fans, I mean, they can tell, you know, if you oh, definitely, that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, speaking of fans, you know, I've always been, uh, been very, uh, like, uh, conscious of fans and, like, what they feel and, and uh, what they need. Um, you know, I never tried to, to make it where, where I wasn't approachable. You know, I, I never, you know, and I see, and, and I've seen, and I see it now, where some like artists, they make themselves unapproachable to, to their fan base. I mean, um, you know, I, 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 I like to be able to, to talk to, to them, uh, to relate to them, to listen, uh, as to some others, you know, like I'm trying, I'm trying not to mention names here, but, but there are some where, where it gets so bad that your normal everyday tasks, like going to the grocery store, you can no longer do it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I think that that's a loss, you know, because, and like the reason why I say that is because there's always a younger Kim that's coming up or like a, like, uh, like younger Scott that's coming up that wants to reach the plateaus that, that we have. And you want to encourage them never to lose their dream. Now, if, I mean, it's just like the day where I ran into, like, Wilson Pickett. If I hadn't seen, like, Wilson Pickett and him stopping and talking to me, would I have wanted to become a musician? I, I don't know. I don't think so. But it was that that catapulted me. So I just want to get back. You know, so that's how I, that's how I see it. Well, that's great. Um, I think um, a lot of those folks, like you were talking about, Kim, if you're on those concert, some of those concert bills, and you're sharing billing with some of them, they're the ones that aren't as fun to be on oh, a uh, like a festival show with as as others, yeah. <laughs> right? Man, listen, boy, listen, Scott, we could be on here all day talk talking about those. Yeah, <laughs> Lord have mercy. I mean, some of them were great, some of them were a pain in the behind. Yeah. 